Well, good morning and welcome to our first service on Sunday morning. We have two services. The first service is our weekly Bible prophecy update. And second service is the sermon where we're going through currently the book of Hebrews in a verse-by-verse -verse study. And today's text is going to be chapter 10, just three verses today, verses 23 through 25. And we're going to look at the characteristics that we as Christians must possess if we're to have any hope of surviving, let alone thriving, in these perilous last days. And then also because today is our water baptism, we're really looking forward to that. At the conclusion of the Hebrews study, we're going to talk about what water baptism is and what water baptism is not as well. And that'll be second service, and that'll be live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. Now, for those of you that are on Facebook or YouTube, we would encourage you to go directly to jdfarag.org for the uninterrupted and uncensored entirety of the update. And we would encourage you to do that now so that it's seamless for you. Also, please stay with us to the end. We're going to have a detailed explanation of how to request and submit uh, for a religious exemption letter, which is now uh, available online uh, by the grace of God. So uh, there are many of you I know that have been waiting. We are so sorry. We only were able to get what we were able to get out. Uh, I think it was over a thousand, but the problem is we had thousands of requests. So now we can get those to you. So more on that at the end, if you'll stay with us. And one more thing before we jump in. Doubtless you've heard about the situation in Afghanistan. This is very serious, and I think I would be grossly remiss if I didn't mention a couple things about what is happening there. First and foremost, please, please, please pray for the people of and in Afghanistan. The situation is significantly worse than what we're being told. And I know there are many who are wondering about the prophetic significance of Afghanistan. I do want to mention something about that, but more important than the prophecy are the people. I think we do err greatly, and I'm just as guilty as this as anybody when it comes to Bible prophecy. We think of these nations that are mentioned in Bible prophecy that are uh, a part of Bible prophecy at the time of the end. But what is oftentimes missed are the people. When you talk about Syria, well, the Syrian people, they need Jesus. You talk about what's happening in Afghanistan, these are people that need Jesus. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are there even now. And we need to pray for them. These people need our prayers. And um, not just in Afghanistan, though that's at the forefront. Uh, Haiti had a massive earthquake again. Um, my birthplace of Beirut, Lebanon, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's basically collapsing economically, governmentally in Lebanon right now. The entirety of the Middle East and really the entirety of the world 
even as we're told in Bible prophecy, it is perilous. The times are perilous. So please pray for the people of Afghanistan. Now, what about the prophetic significance? Well, Afghanistan is one of the allied nations that is mentioned in the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, and oftentimes referred to as one of the stands. And by stands, I mean Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and the others. This is the area known in ancient times, in Ezekiel's time, as the land of Magog. So what we're seeing right now, like we need yet another piece of the prophetic puzzle to be put in place. <laughs> but this is yet another piece of the prophetic puzzle that is being put in place, exactly as we were told it would be at the time of the end. Well, for today's update, the Lord has directed me to the Gospel of Matthew and the sixth chapter. I would encourage you and invite you at this time to turn there. There you will find the well-known Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. It's what Jesus taught. And specifically what we're going to look at today, it's what Jesus taught concerning worry. We have the assurance from Jesus in this sermon recorded for us in Matthew 6, as to why it is that we as Christians should never worry about our Heavenly Father providing that which we have need of. Please know that I'm keenly aware of the many, I, I tell you, if you could just read my inbox, <laughs> the many heartbreaking emails, many today facing the real possibility of being terminated from their place of employment. And perhaps even some have already lost their livelihood. And as such, you're riddled with anxiety and filled with fear concerning the future. I've been very open, very transparent about my own struggles with anxiety in my own life, and how I have this proclivity, this propensity to be a worrier. I'm really a good worrier, I'll tell you right now. And uh, I am walking in victory, but that's not to say that it's not still a struggle. I still struggle with it. But God has given me the victory over it. What if I told you that those who are in Christ, seeking first His kingdom and righteousness, have absolutely nothing to worry about? Well, don't take my word for it. Uh, listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 25, if you would follow along with me. Jesus is speaking. He says, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry 
about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So, verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Never imagine that the Savior's tone was that of disdain or disgust when he would say, as he often did to the disciples and even the multitudes, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. It's, it's not, oh, you of little faith. It's more like this. Why is your faith so little when your God is so big? Why, why is your faith so little? Therefore, verse 31, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? I wore that last week. Uh, that's not in there. Just want to make sure you're still following along. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. <laughs> Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That troubled me until I really understood what Jesus was saying. See, I was really good at verse 33. I didn't need verse 34 because it's like Jesus saying, don't worry. Uh, tomorrow you'll have plenty to worry about. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. <laughs> he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's worries will be there tomorrow, and I'll give you the grace that you need tomorrow for tomorrow's worries. But I'm not going to give it to you today. Why are you borrowing against tomorrow today? And by the way, is not today the tomorrow you worried about yesterday? I'll give you some time. I know it's early. 
I'll never forget when I heard someone say that, I thought, it is. Yesterday I was freaking out. I was so stressed out. I was so worried about tomorrow. And it's tomorrow. <laughs> it didn't happen. What I worried about yesterday, that would happen today. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. And isn't that the truth? Those things that we worried about never came to pass. If you're anything like me, and I suspect that many of you are, I get angry. It's kind of like, oh, I could have slept last night. <laughs> I mean, I worried about it and it didn't happen. I mean, then I get even angry at, my, at myself, not at God, of course, but at myself. Like, what? I, I worried myself sick, literally, by the way, over this. And then it didn't happen. It's been said that something like 90% of the things that we worry about never come to pass. Now, for those of you that are worriers like me, you're going, wait, 90%? What about the 10% that does? <laughs> right? No, we're good, right? Well, here's the thing. The 10%, God gives you the grace at the time that you need it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we move on, I, I want to mention this, because I think it's very important. And it might be for somebody here today or watching online. But do you know what Jesus is saying here? <laughs> He's saying, if God's going to take care of that bird that you see flying in the air, and that flower that you see there in the field, how much more is He going to take care of you? Because see, that flower and that bird was not made in the image of God. In other words, here's a flower. And for those of you that have been to Israel with us, there on the side of the Mount of Beatitudes, I mean, it is, especially in the springtime, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Oh, it's just magnificent. The breeze, the sun is shining, the flowers, oh my goodness. And I can just picture Jesus there as He's teaching this. And He's pointing to those flowers. He says, look at those flowers. Yeah. You know what? A couple weeks, maybe by tomorrow, it's going to be gone. Yet look at how your Heavenly Father clothes that flower. Not even Solomon, as wealthy as he was. I'm sure he had a a tremendous wardrobe. His walk-in closet was the size of our houses. And he was never clothed as beautifully and as splendidly as that flower. And that flower is not going to last. How much more is he going to clothe you? How about that bird? Have you ever seen a bird stressed out? <laughs> right? Packing worms into a, you know, little to hedge against the future. You never know. No. God provides for that bird. That bird wasn't made in the image of God. 
So the point is, if God is going to provide for the bird and the flower, how much more will He provide for you? This is why we're not to worry. Jesus is giving us His Word. And He can't go back on His Word. This is His Word to us. And He's telling us, you don't have to worry. And here's why. Because your Heavenly Father is going to provide. That's the why. But in concert with the Savior's why, we also have the how. Namely, in the Apostle Paul's epistle to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4. I want to read verses 6 through 8. Let me just parenthetically say that God has used these passages of Scripture in my life over the years to give me the victory over my anxieties and my worries and my fears. And this particular passage here in Philippians 4 has been, I mean, key, for lack of a better word, when it comes to the how. How do you deal with worry, with fear, with anxiety? The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is going to give us the answer, the cure, if you prefer. He says, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. All right, bear with me here. How do you worry about no thing? pray about everything, and thank God for anything. And if you thank God for anything and pray about everything, you'll worry about no thing. That's not just a page in your Bible. This is real, and it works, and it's God's Word, and I can testify to you that in my life there have been times where I've been paralyzed in fear. I've been so worried and, and so anxious, so full of anxiety. And I actually did this. Imagine that. What a novel idea. Take God at His Word. And I mean, at first it was a little rough. I start praying, okay, Lord, here's Here's the situation. I mean, he already knows the situation. But I just present it to him. I say, Lord, I <laughs> And then I start thinking, and now this is huge, by the way. 
Because when you start thanking God, and thank, in fact, I have a, um, a plaque on my office, my uh, home, my home office. It says, what if you woke up tomorrow morning with only the things that you thank God for yesterday? I'm going to leave that with the Holy Spirit right there, because I walk by that and look at it. And sometimes I give it stink eye, because I don't like it, because it's true, right? Think about what you have to thank God for. And by the way, the word think comes from the word thank. And the more you think about it, and the more you realize how much you have to be thankful for, it's a game changer. It changes you. It changes your thinking. It changes your praying. It changes your perspective. See, here's what happens. The enemy is really good at this. He starts by magnifying the problem, the worry, the fear, the anxiety. And he puts it up on an IMAX screen in 3D and gives you the 3D glasses to watch it. And I mean, you're looking at this thing going, no, this is big, this is bad. Yeah, told you. What are you going to do? I don't know. And all of a sudden that, that big problem makes my God little. I need to turn that around. I need to focus on, think on Him, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, whatever is admirable. Think on those things and thank God for anything. And here's what happens. <laughs> that problem, what was the problem again? Where'd it go? The problem now is small, minuscule, why? Because my God is a big God. There's nothing too hard for Him. He's the God of the impossible. And when you start thanking Him, and presenting Him, praying to Him, pray about everything. Thank Him for anything. And I promise you, from my own personal relationship with Jesus and on the authority of God's Word, <laughs> you will not worry. It'll come back, by the way. The enemy doesn't leave you alone. He's very tenacious. He'll come right back and go, yeah, see, you prayed about it. Thank God for it. You're not worried about it anymore. So he'll, he'll wait. He's very patient. Come back about an hour and a half later. How's it going? Oh, you again. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to go right back to prayer. Go right back to prayer. And don't stop praying until the worry is gone. I'm telling you, this works. This works. This worked in my life. This works in my life. And Satan doesn't want you to know this, because he knows that this is how to get the victory. And like the Apostle Paul, so too with the Apostle Peter. He explains how people who are full of anxiety can deal with anxiety. In his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 7, cast 
all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Do you realize that? That God cares for you. He cares about what's going on. He knows, He sees, He cares. And He's at the ready. He's just waiting for us to call upon Him and trust Him and believe Him to do that which only He can. And He wants to rush in, but He won't force Himself. We're all given free will and we all have sovereignty. So God's just at the ready, waiting. Think about it like this as a parent, grandparent even. Your children come to you and they're really struggling. What's your response to them? Are you not going to tax the moon and the stars for them? There is nothing you would not do for them. And you're fallen. How much more our Heavenly Father? He's waiting to help us. He cares for us. He loves us. Get this. He even likes us. I know. So you're full of anxiety? Give it to the Lord. Cast it. It, it carries with it the idea of, I mean, you're packing this thing around. I, I, you know, some of you brought, brought it with you to church today. That's okay. We, we're not going to point you out. I got to be careful when I do that, because I don't want to, you know, everybody's ducking underneath their chairs when I do that. So I'll just, I'll just say, we, we saw you come into church today like this. You're packing this thing around. And it's crushing you. This heavy weight of anxiety. Cast it off. Throw it on to Him. Give it to Take this and don't take it back. Oh, we're good at that. I do that all the time. You know, I pray, oh Lord, I just give this to you. And then after you're done, you kind of take it back, start worrying about it again. <laughs> okay, I'll just talk about myself. You're looking at me like, I don't do that. Yeah, you do. Give it to Him. Okay. Pastor, do you have a point? Yes, I do. The reason I wanted to start out this way is because we as Christians are now experiencing what I'll refer to as pre-rapture persecution. And let me explain what I mean by that. Bible prophecy tells us that after the rapture and during the seven-year tribulation, God's people will be persecuted, specifically the Jewish people. And the reason is because the purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. It's recorded. I'll begin reading in verse 8. He replied, speaking of Jesus, and this is interesting, by the way, 
Watch out that you are not deceived. In other words, it's going to be a great deception. That's the first thing. He says, for many will come in my name claiming, I am He, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then He said to them, verse 10, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But, verse 12, before all this, speaking to the Jews in the tribulation, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, Jewish synagogues, and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so, verse 13, you will bear testimony to me. And I want you to pay particular attention to verses 14 and 15. Actually, put them in your hip pocket, because we're going to need them in a moment. Verse 14, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. And here's why. Verse 15, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Verse 16. As I read verses 16 through 18, I want you to think about how this is already playing out. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But, and I love verse 18 so much, not a hair of your head will perish. I am claiming that promise right there. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying the persecution will come. The Jewish people will be persecuted. They will be handed over to the synagogues. They will be betrayed, snitched on, if you will. But do not worry about how you're going to deal with that or defend yourself in that, because I'm going to give you the words and the wisdom. And, they, and I'll give it to you at the time you need it. This is the thing. I, I, innate within us is this desire to walk by sight, not by faith. I want to see it. Lord, I, can I get it now, before, so I know it's there, when I need it? No, JD, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to trust me. How about that? I mean, I just, I have to wait on you and trust in you? Yeah. 
It's called faith. Faith is the antithesis of sight. But see, our problem is it, seeing is believing. That's the problem. It's not seeing is believing. It's believing is seeing. Don't worry. Yeah, but Lord, I know. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. Okay, what, tell me. I'm not going to tell you until you need it. Sometimes God will deem it necessary to withhold tomorrow's manna today. Because see, like with the Israelites, they had to trust every night when they went to bed, that when they woke up in the morning, there would be manna there. And spoiler alert, there always was. There never was a day that there was not manna. God always provided. God always, but it required trusting Him, believing Him, putting your faith in Him. Here's a question that I would humbly ask you to think through with me. If we're already beginning to see that which takes place in the tribulation, happening before the tribulation, then how close are we to the tribulation? I think the question sort of answers itself in the sense that this pre-rapture persecution is an indication of just how close we are to the commencement of the seven-year tribulation. And if the Lord is telling them then not to worry, because He will defend them in the tribulation, how much more so should we now not worry, knowing the Lord will defend us before the tribulation? I know it's a well-known, often quoted verse in Proverbs. We sing it, we say it, we know it, we memorize it. But I think it's apropos for such a time as this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Actually, it, it sort of comports with Philippians 4, 6, and 7, because it's three in one. I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. He'll straighten out this mess. He'll straighten it out. But there's a prerequisite, actually a threefold prerequisite, like in Philippians. It requires first that I trust in Him with all my heart. It also requires that I don't lean on my own understanding. That's a biggie for me. And isn't it true that when we don't understand, that's when we do the third one and acknowledge Him? Oh, now you're coming to me because you, you made a complete mess out of this thing. Lord, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't understand. Lord's up here. I do. 
Come to me. I'll straighten it out. See, you've been trying to do it yourself in your own strength, your own way. And all you've done is made it worse. <laughs> I know this is shocking, but I don't need your help. I'm, I'm talking about, this, these are the conversations I have with God. I should say He has with me. JD, I love you, but you want to help me? Don't help me. Just get out of my way. Let me have my way. You're in my way, because you're trying to do it your way. And your ways are not my ways. My ways are infinitely higher than your ways. So we do three things. He does one. Trust in the Lord with all our heart. Acknowledge the Lord in all our ways. And don't lean on our own understanding. We do those three. He does this one thing for us. He'll straighten it out. Philippians 4, same thing. We do three. He does one. What's the three? <laughs> Thank Him for anything. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. And He will give us the peace that only He can give, that surpasses human understanding. By the way, that's an interesting and easily missed, because it's the peace of God from the God of peace. I love how it, that's the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. It's the kind of peace that says, I don't care what's happening. I don't care what your boss just threatened you with. I don't care about that pile of bills sitting right there. You can have peace, because it's the peace of God. And it bypasses that. It surpasses that. It transcends that. Because this peace that Jesus said, I come to give, it's not like the world gives. See, the peace that the world gives is predicated upon what's going on in your lives. You know, I can have peace because everything's good right now. Man, if you live your life like that, you're going to have peace maybe three minutes a week with the way things are right now. No, this is the peace that God gives, the peace of God from the God of peace that's not contingent upon those things. I mean, it's not looking good, but I can have that peace. And it keeps my heart in check, settles my heart, calms my heart and my mind. That's a biggie. We're going to talk about that more. Well, I want to end the uh, live stream now. And uh, hopefully you're already at jdfrog.org. So, okay. I want to expound on these two verses. So take them out of your hip pocket, verses 14 and 15 of Luke 21. understand that Jesus is not only encouraging them to make up their mind, now hang on to that, to not worry beforehand. In other words, this is a disciplined mind, because God's not given us a spirit of fear, worry, anxiety, but of power and of love and of a disciplined mind, a sound mind. 
It better understood as a disciplined mind. You know how you discipline your children? You got to discipline your mind. You can't just let any thought come into your mind. You got to discipline your mind. Because if you're anything like me again, and I suspect that you are, your mind will go off. I mean, you have this amazing ability to manufacture and create the most ominous scenario, most perilous set of circumstances, if you let your mind go. No, you discipline your mind. You tell your mind, sit down, boy. Time out. <laughs> or however you discipline your children. I'm not going to get into that. But some of your minds, they, they need a good spanking. I'm not going to let that thought in. Take every thought captive. Catch it. No. <laughs> no entry. You cannot come in. See those thoughts, they want to come in and sup with you and you with them. And we let them. We let them come in. Make up your mind, a disciplined mind, not to worry. This is a decisive, conscious effort on our parts with our minds. We love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our bodies, all of our strength, all of our soul. We, we leave out the mind part. That's where the battleground is. It's in the mind. So verse 14, he says, make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. That's what were to do. And verse 15 is why. Because I, I will give you the words. I will give you the wisdom. And here's the thing about my word and my wisdom, by the way. <laughs> None of your enemies are going to be able to contradict or resist. Because this is my word. And this is my wisdom, God's Word, God's wisdom. Jesus has already given us the words and the wisdom to defend ourselves in this pre-rapture persecution we're all now facing. And I know you don't want to hear this. I know I don't want to say this, but it's very likely that this persecution is going to intensify in the days ahead. You know, as uh, yesterday in my time with the Lord, meditating on <laughs> these men of God like Abraham, even David. We're talking later in life. They'd already proven themselves faithful and withstood the trials and the tests. And they were faithful. And Abraham particularly, I mean, he's old and God still tests him. And you would think, God, come on, man. I mean, you, 
Don't talk to God like that, by the way. I'm just for purpose of discussion. God, why? Because Abraham has been faithful. I mean, give him a break, man. He's, you know, he's like going to be a hundred years old. You're still testing him. Now, some of you are sitting here going, that doesn't encourage me. <laughs> you mean I'm still going to, yeah. But here's the thing. You don't think you're going to be able to make it through that trial. And then God, as only He can, gets you through that trial. And then on the end of that trial, you look back on that trial, and here's what you say to yourself and to the Lord. Wow. Lord, that was, I don't ever want to do that again. But wow, Lord. That was amazing. Like God's going, I know. <laughs> it's I'm God, so that's why. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. Now, speaking to the Jews, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. And here's why, verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You mean I have to wait till then? Yeah. Yeah, but that's kind of like the 11th hour. I know. That means I'm going to have to trust God, precisely. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I do. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'll give you the words to say. When? When it comes time. You're going to be saying, have you ever had this happen? I know you have. Where you'll be talking with someone, sharing the gospel with someone. And it's kind of like, you're talking, but you know that's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. You're going, wow, this is good. It's not me. It's kind of like, man, I need to record this. This is really good. <laughs> God is speaking through you, for you, instead of you. He's giving you the words at that very moment to speak. Because the Holy Spirit knows what you need to say and what they need to hear you say. And so you start speaking, you're like, I'll tell you, this is, uh, I don't have time, but so many times I'm like, Lord, you better take it from here, because if I start talking, I'm going to just totally mess this up. So you start and I actually have a prayer before I teach. I'm back there, you know, just wailing, oh God, you know. Overrule me, possess me, overpower me. Speak through me. I have this dorky little thing that I do when I come out here. Now that I've told you, you're going to be noticing it. 
when I, this is the, the cue. I say, Lord, when I put my hands on that pulpit, you take over. Because if you don't, it's going to be disastrous. So if you see my hands gripping this thing <laughs> with a death grip, you'll know why. Okay. So what is the word? What is the wisdom that we ought to say? It's the word of life, such that we choose life. And this jab, so-called, it contains the tissue from aborted babies. And for those who are going to be requesting a religious exemption letter, which we'll get to in a moment, just bear with me, this is the basis upon which the request is made. This is what they cannot refute or contradict. Before I get into this, I really need to first share my heart with you on this matter, if you don't mind, just briefly. Whenever you bring up abortion, it comes packaged with condemnation. And I want you to know, if you're sitting here in this church, and you've had an abortion or been a part of an abortion, God forgives you. You do not let the enemy continue to condemn you. This was last Sunday's teaching in Hebrews, by the way. Maybe somebody's online, and I mean the guilt, the shame, the regret. It's just killing you. God forgives you. And by the way, you'll see that baby in heaven, you know. So this is what I wanted to share, and I've been inquiring of the Lord about it all week. Many of you know that <clears throat> we learned in the eighth month of pregnancy that our daughter Noel had what they called trisomy 18, which is a third copy of the 18 chromosome. And it was full trisomy 18. In other words, she had a third copy of the 18 chromosome in every cell of her body. And the medical community said, uh, this is incompatible with life. And of course, when we learned of this, we were devastated. I mean devastated. And I have to confess to you that I actually asked the Lord to take our daughter home from the womb, because I was, talk about fear. I just, I didn't want my daughter to die in my arms. That would just be too painful. And so it, I, I prayed, Lord, it would be so much easier if you would just take her from the womb. Because you've had many babies that we've lost in utero that we're going to see in heaven. One baby we lost in the second trimester, miscarriage, ectopic, we had them all. They told us that we had a 50% chance of Noel being born alive and not stillborn. 
and only a 10% chance of her seeing her first birthday. And I got to tell you, I, I didn't know this then, but I know this now. And maybe this is for somebody here or watching online. What I came to find out was that when you have that time to bond with your baby, it brings about a much needed closure. Had Noel been taken by the Lord from the womb, I would have never held her or looked into her eyes and known her and bonded with her, as painful as it was. I thank God for the time that we had with her. What they're finding now with abortions is that the mother having the baby taken like that, there are not just physiological repercussions, obviously, but there are psychological and spiritual and emotional repercussions. And it was like the Lord saying, you don't want me to take her from the womb. It's going to be very painful. And it was in that moment that I, I just for a, a moment in time, I really understood the fear of a mother, even a father, because the fathers too suffer with abortion. I, 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 could, I could taste from that cup, just for a moment, what they must feel like, why they would even entertain abortion. But I got to tell you, that time that we had with her, and God was preparing us for what He was preparing for us. And I would never trade it for anything during that time. Can't even imagine having not been able to hold my daughter, my baby. Uh, one last thing, and again, I appreciate your patience with me on this. After Noel went to be with Jesus, I remember so many times with the Lord just asking Him about it, you know. <laughs> and one of the things He ministered to me, I mean, it just settled it, and it settled me. It was kind of along these lines. What if, JD, uh, I had come to you prior and said, I'm looking for a mother and a father who know me and love me, that I can give a daughter to. They won't have her very long. But what if I had given you that choice? Would you have accepted? Because if not, I would have found another mother and father. And when I realized that, it was like, no. I want her. I want her. Can't imagine my life without her. 
I say all that to say this, please. When it comes to abortion, and that is the issue with these so-called vaccines. Don't let the enemy use that to condemn you. Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to save, to seek and save that which was lost. And if you have abortion in your past, <laughs> I want to encourage you. You're going to see that baby. If you know Jesus, you're going to see that baby. All right, let's, uh, let's get into this. So what follows is documentation from the website. The website is avoiceforTruth.com, an online member sent it to me. And I went back into my archives and the websites that I had before that I've referred to concerning aborted fetal tissue. And by the way, I don't like aborted cell lines, because that seems to make it more palatable. No, these are aborted babies tissue. Um, they've taken the sites down and they're no longer available. So I got a hold of this site, voiceforTruth.com, and they have documentation about these so-called vaccines. And this is important for those of you that are going to request and submit a religious exemption letter, because you need to know not just what you're asking for, but why. Why are you asking for an exemption from this? And we're going to put the links, the links are on the uh, website below the video. You may need to print these out and use them along with the religious exemption letter that you submit. This is why I will not accept this or put this into my body, because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Picture here is a screenshot documenting the use of aborted fetal cells in the so-called COVID-19 vaccines. This is a one-page PDF file of what they call an infographic listing all vaccines, including the so-called COVID-19 vaccine that uses aborted fetal cells. It comes from this page, several infographics, and it provides easy to read information. And then there's a 25-page PDF file, a white paper titled Abortion, the Human Fetal Cell Industry and Vaccines. You're going to need that. This is the Word of God and the wisdom of God that they cannot refute, because it's the Word of life. All right, let's talk about the letters. If you'll just bear with me, I'll explain in detail how to go about requesting the letter from our website. So you're going to go to jdfarag.org, and you'll see the exemption tab. Uh, when you select that, it will take you to this page, which says, we now have an online resource for requesting religious exemption letters to support 
our local and online members facing vaccine mandates. And then please select the link below. It's circled here on the screen. They might want to put it up for the online viewers. Request religious exemption letter. Now, before you click on that, it is noted down below, and this is very, very important. So please listen. There was no way that we could provide all of the letters to all of the people that asked for them. We're talking about thousands and thousands of them. Had no idea. It's on me. I underestimated it. Our amazing staff got over a thousand of these out, but there's still thousands more. So if you previously sent an email requesting this exemption letter and have not received your letter, then we're going to have to ask you to resubmit a new request using this online format. It's going to take you to this form, this page, once you select Request Religious Exemption Letter, and you'll enter the information. It'll ask you a couple of questions. Uh, when you scroll down, there will be three boxes to check, one of which says, I am a born-again believer in and follower of Jesus Christ. That box has to be checked for what I think would be deemed obvious reasons. Now, once you submit it, expect about one to five days for delivery via U.S. mail. Expect next day delivery for the email of the PDF. And please note that the email will be coming from exemption at themastersmail.org. So it could end up in your spam folder, your junk mail. So you might want to check that if you haven't received it within a couple of days. Also, you can request both email and U.S. mail. Then if you scroll down further on that same page, you'll see the letter that will be sent to you. Now, I want you to read this letter. We made a couple of revisions. We actually made one correction, but we added a couple things to the letter. And I want you to not just read the letter, but maybe share it with someone that doesn't know Jesus, because maybe this is what will bring them to Jesus. Use this as a tool to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. <laughs> you won't have to look very far. I can tell you that I'm getting requests from people that don't know the Lord, that are calling my wife, calling me, Hey, pastor, old buddy, old pal. I know it's been a, <laughs> that's okay. Glad you called. Actually, I was waiting for your call. Um, I'm going to lose my job. Well, you might lose your job, but don't lose your soul. I need this. And I'll tell you what you need. You need Jesus. Do you know how many people have come to Christ because of this? 
oh, we'll probably never know this side of heaven. But I assure you, <laughs> when we're in heaven, the multitudes of people getting back to Afghanistan, what's happening in the Middle East, Iran. We always talk about Iran and Bible prophecy. Do you know how many Iranians, Persians we're going to see in heaven? You know how many Afghanistan, Afghanis we're going to see in, in heaven? You know how many Arabs, my people, <laughs> we're going to see in heaven? Multitudes of people. And here's the thing, one last thing, and then we'll end with the gospel and the ABCs of salvation. Just give me a couple more minutes. But think about this. Here in America, we are just now tasting from the cup that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have been drinking from for years, this persecution. Well, what's the gospel? The gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses, the Apostle Paul says that the gospel that he preached is that Jesus came, He was crucified, he was buried and He rose again on the third day. And then when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, and Jesus is coming back again one day. That's the good news. Well, why is that good news? Because He's coming back for us because He died instead of us. And that's the bad news. See, the bad news is, is that we've all been sentenced to death, because we've all sinned. And the good news is, is that Jesus came and He said, I will die for you instead of you. Good news, you're free to go. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's the good news. That's what the word gospel means. What are the ABCs? It's just a simple childlike explanation of salvation. I know for me, this is kind of how it went down. I think about who we affectionately refer to as the thief on the cross. This is how it went down for him. There was first this acknowledging, this admitting, hey, I'm a sinner. One criminal rejected Christ, one accepted Christ. And that's the first step that you come to as you realize, I've sinned and I need the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why we must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Romans 6.23 <laughs> it's the bad news first. You know, you know when people come to you and say, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? I hate that. Get thee behind me, Satan. I want to hear the good news and then see ya. <laughs> I don't want to hear the bad news. Well, here's the bad news first. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. It's the death penalty. Now here's the good news. In other words, I know this is improper English. Please don't email me. 
the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news will be. <laughs> and if you just got done telling me the bad news, really bad news, that I've been sentenced to death because of, of my sin, man, that's going to make the good news even gooder. And the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. He paid for it in full, with His life, with His blood. He purchased us. And if it's a gift and you try to pay for it, it's no longer a gift, it's a purchase. But He paid for the gift and He's offering it as a gift. That's good news. I'll take it. Where do I sign? You don't need to. He already signed. The gift of God is eternal life. The B. This is pivotal. This is central. Believe <laughs> in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. And this is the expression of, this is when the criminal on the cross, he, he called out to the Lord and said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And what was Jesus's response? We're going to talk about this second service in the context of water baptism. He said, truly, truly, I say unto you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Good news. That, that's what happens when, when you acknowledge your sin. I mean, he says to his fellow criminal, I don't know if he knew the guy, maybe he did. They're both being put to death on the same day, next to the Savior of the world. And he, he rebukes the other guy and says, are you, this guy has done nothing. He is innocent. We're here because of our crimes. We deserve this. He doesn't. He acknowledged the Savior and he acknowledged his sin. And then he believed. Because if he didn't believe, he wouldn't have asked the Lord to remember him. He wouldn't have called upon the name of the Lord or confessed with his mouth, as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And Romans 10, 13 lastly seals the deal. I love this verse. I love this verse. I love this verse. Did I tell you I love this verse? <laughs> it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 39 years ago, I was an all, because I, I looked it up. All. Wow, I'm an all. Who call? Okay. <laughs> I mean, when I realized, I heard the gospel presented in a very simple way, and I got it. The Lord had already been stirring in my heart prior. 
and the seed had already been planted. And when I heard the gospel explained in a very simple way, I got it. And I believed. And I went into my room and I prayed. I fell asleep praying. And by the way, my prayer, you know what my prayer was? You know, we talk about, you know, pray the sinner's prayer or repeat after me. None of that. My prayer was, because first of all, I was very intoxicated. I'm not proud of this. I was very high. I was like, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to heaven. I fell asleep praying, asking God to save me. I woke up the next morning. (laughs) I could not start my day without my tobacco addiction, my alcohol addiction, and my drug addiction. And I went to reach for that stuff. But now something was different because I was a new creation in Christ. I had the Holy Spirit in me. And as I went to reach for that, the Holy Spirit in that still small voice said, you don't need that anymore. I'm like, what? I've tried to quit so many times in my own strength and willpower, and I, I never could. It's like, no, you don't need that anymore. And God, I know it's different for everybody, but God took away the desire, and I never looked back. That's the power to save. Why don't you stand? We'll have the worship team come up. Thank you so much for your patience. I, I always say to myself, okay, maybe I won't go as long today. <laughs> Famous last words, right? Can I just say lastly, not just for anyone here, but online, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord, I implore you today, today is the day of salvation. That's why you're still watching this video online, by the way. God brought you. It's not an accident. This is God's providence. God brought you to this video for such a time as this, because today is the day of salvation in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. (laughs) Thank you that it is so childlike simple. Lord, thank You that despite how perilous it is, how difficult it's becoming, how intense the persecution is becoming, that we can make up our minds beforehand, not to worry, but to put our trust in You, to give us in that moment what it is that we're to speak, Your Word, the Word of life, that we would choose life, eternal life, in Jesus' name. Amen.